morning and welcome to Come and Reason Bible Study. My name is Russell Atkins. I'm filling in this morning for Tim. Tim is at one of the local Cleveland churches. They have asked him to do uh, his healing mind uh, seminar and other things today, so we want to wish them well. It's nice to hear that some of the local churches are, are starting to uh, warm up to this message. So, yeah. Uh, let's begin with prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for another day that you've given us, another rest day, another beautiful Sabbath day, and we ask uh, your uh, spirit to be with us today and to be with Tim uh, as they uh, continue the ministry in Cleveland. Please guide our study today as we learn more about uh, discipling the sick. Uh, be with uh, each of our members uh, that are with us and be with those who are not with us uh, and bring them safely back in the weeks ahead. In Jesus' name, amen. We are studying lesson number five today in uh, our quarterly on discipling, entitled Discipling the Sick. Last week, uh, Dr. Moses did discipling the children, and he, he had indicated that he was somewhat less than qualified do that because he felt he'd been an absent parent. Uh, I, for one, want to thank him for doing that because I am completely unqualified to talk about discipling the children. <laughs> uh, however, I do work in healthcare and uh, I have some uh, insight on discipling the sick. So uh, I want to move forward with that. Just out of idle professional curiosity, how many in here in this room work in healthcare? So we, wow, we got. Probably half half of the uh, half the class present working in some uh, aspect of healthcare. Uh, I found Sabbath's lesson uh, very interesting. This quote from uh, the Ministry of Healing: the, the first sentence during his ministry, Jesus devoted more time to healing the sick than to preaching. Why 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 do we think that is? Why why do you think Christ devoted more of his time? I believe he did. I have no reason not to. But why 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 do you think he devoted more time to to uh, the healing arts than to uh, teaching and preaching? Any thoughts? It's hard for somebody to listen to someone preaching about anything if they weren't feeling good, if they're sick. Okay. So if you're not feeling well, um, both body and mind uh, might be preoccupied with how you're feeling. Uh, Tim has given the example of, have you ever had to take a test with a 103-degree fever? Uh, it's really difficult to concentrate on selecting appropriate answers and et cetera, et cetera. Any other insights? Yes. If you meet someone's needs without asking for anything back, they would be more willing to listen to you if you were going to share the gospel with them. Okay. So help them. There's no uh, no indication of any sort of agenda. Might uh, have a more receptive audience later. Anything else? I think that God wanted us to understand that he intends to make us well. Ah. So in the big picture, Christ might have been trying to tell something, say something, not only to those that he was healing at the time, but to those down through the ages, uh, some sort of revelation about his ministry, uh, or his mission, the plan of salvation, et cetera, et cetera, that is, uh, is a healing, a complete healing, uh, as opposed to, some sort of legal payment. Um, the Sabbath memory text. Large crowds came to him, bringing the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others, and laid them at his feet. And he healed them. 
The people were amazed when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled made well, and the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they praised the God of Israel. This is from Matthew 15, 30 and 31. <clears throat> if, if Christ's mission on earth was to render some sort of a payment to his father or to the law or to whomever uh, Christianity would have him rendering a payment to, why, why didn't he... Why didn't he pay? go about paying everyone's taxes or government fines or something like that? Okay, was he really trying, trying to tell us something in, in this healing? Any thoughts on how Christ uh, was so effective at healing? Any thoughts on how, how modern day physicians and healthcare workers are effective at healing? We follow the principles laid in nature. Okay. So there's there are shall we say laws? Laws governing the the uh, the human body and its its function, laws of physics, laws of chemistry, and laws of health. So the modern-day physician and healthcare worker, uh, the only way they can get people better is in conformity with these laws. Is it, not, is it unreasonable to think that Christ operated outside of the laws of health and the healing? He also, you know, as the source of life, he could do a little more, you know, than our physicians. Not that he broke the laws of health, he could just... Speak life into it. Yeah, I'm not equating the two. Don't don't get me wrong here. I'm 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 not equating the 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 modern day physician and the the uh, great physician. And as as knowledgeable as we are uh, with regard to the laws of health and and the practice of medicine, it, it's not unreasonable to think that uh, Christ, having written these laws, knows far more about them. And there are many, many, many laws that we are completely unaware of that uh, that he wrote that he was in conformity with. I don't know. I haven't thought about it very much, but it seems like he did break some of these laws. He didn't just set the body in the right path to heal over time. He, it was an instant healing. It's just like walking on the water. That's... Gravity would have had him sink, <clears throat> but he was able to walk on the water. So I don't know if there's another law that we're not aware of that he used, and if we could just discover that law, we could do the same. Okay, I I agree with your last name. I I I in using the walking on the water um, comparison, uh, I believe that Christ operated within the laws of physics that we're not aware of that we haven't identified, that we haven't um, annotated and defined. Okay? Whatever that law is, I don't know. I mean, how do, how do angels travel immediately from, from heaven, wherever that is, to, to earth? Okay? I, I believe they do so in conformity with some laws of physics that we're not aware of. Okay? And yes, uh, I, I, don't, I agree with you. I don't think that you know, the, the diabetic or the leper that came up to 
you know, Christ for healing. I don't think Christ said, well, you know, you need to lose 100 pounds and you need to stop smoking. You need to do this, that, and the other. And get on that path and, and in 20 years will feel better. No, I believe it was instantaneous. But I still think it was within conformity of the laws of health that he wrote. Yes. One of the most amazing things that God does to me is how he knows our thoughts. Mm-hmm. And on earth, he knew, probably not in every case, but he did know the thoughts of people who came to him sometimes. We have records of that. Oh, I think he knew it in every case. The amazing thing to me about all this is, and from this class, that Jesus, though he had a divine part, while he was here, he used his human part. So it was his human side being so faithful and knowing God that he was able to do these healings and things. And we're told if we have faith as as much as a mustard seed, we could do some of the same things that he has done. And uh, usually I always thought of, oh, it's Jesus. He's God. That's why he could do all these things. But it's because he had so much faith and so much commitment and so much uh, talking to his father that he was able to do this. And evidently, if we could get that close, we could do some of these things too. Oh, I agree. And, and uh, you know, there's scriptural historical evidence for that. You know, the disciples and apostles, when Christ sent them out, they healed the sick and, and raised the dead. Okay? I mean, I've, I've helped people with frozen shoulders. I haven't, I haven't raised anybody from the dead lately. Yes. But if he was able to read people's thoughts, didn't his divinity kick in? I mean, how in his human form he read people's thoughts through his human humanness. I, I don't know how he read people's thoughts. I don't know the mechanics behind how he transforms people's characters. I don't know the bio, I don't know the biochemistry between how an antibi- how an antibiotic cures pneumonia. But just because I don't know the mechanics of it doesn't mean I can't benefit from it. Okay, by taking the antibiotic. So I I don't know how he he read people's thoughts. I, I think... You hear anybody else that, doing that. I mean, you hear of other healings being done, but you don't hear of anybody reading somebody else's thoughts. Not even Satan. <laughs> Dr. Moses? The disciples, in, in, at times, I think, in the stories, read people's thoughts by the gifts of the Spirit. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the Holy Spirit provided Christ with things when he needed them mm-hmm. based on the task that he had been given. Like Ananias and Sapphira. Uh, right. the, you know, Paul confronting them, re, you know, basically re, having read their thoughts, having been told their thoughts. Okay. Um, I believe you had a hand up. Well, I was just going to say that I've, I know friends who have, in a certain situation, someone's not telling them something and they're trying to disciple them through it. But then through the power of the Holy Spirit, God gives them the answer in order to start that conversation. Hmm. So, not that they read their thoughts, but they knew what was in their heart because God told them. So I think Jesus had the same, had such a strong connection with his Father that if he needed to know something about someone else, God would give that to him. Hmm. I think that's great insight. Just a second. In the back, you had your hand up. Um, I was thinking, too, with as intelligent as he was, perhaps, you know, through people's body language and facial expressions, he might have been able to get a pretty good idea of what they were going to do or what they were going to say. 
And some people, one person even said that that's how the devil is able to manipulate us, is he spent all these years with us, observing us, and he has learned certain cues that we naturally give away, and that's how he has learned to manipulate human beings over time. Uh, again, a fair, a fair point, yes. Well, he knew how many times she'd been married, and she wasn't even married to the man she was living with now. I mean, how did her body language say, I've been married seven times, and I'm not married to the one I'm living with now? Well, it may not have. The Holy Spirit. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I, don't, have, I don't have any issue with, with either any of these, uh, any of these comments or suggestions. Uh, and certainly, Satan is a, is a great student of human nature. He, he's had you know, millennia to observe human behavior and human nature. Christ, on the other hand, is the designer of human nature um, and has a better understanding of it. It was a hand, yes. I was just going to mention Mrs. White and her testimonies. I think she often had impressions of what people were planning or thinking or contemplating and addressed those situations because she was inspired by the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. I think it's okay to think that he had some powers that we didn't have. But the thing to, to recognize is he always used that for the edification or healing of other people. He never used that for himself or toward himself. It was always outward moving. Right. Yeah, I mean, I, all, this, all this discussion, I think, is in complete harmony with, with Christ being fully divine and fully human. Uh, like you just said, you know, he, he never tapped into his divinity except for the service of others. He never did it to serve himself. And yet, in his humanity, he eradicated the infection that, that we're all that we all suffer with, that we've all suffered with since Adam and Eve, and and he uh, he defeated it, and now, now offers it as a as a healing remedy for the rest of us. Uh, consider these two passages, both from the Ministry of Healing, and actually they're both on the same page, page two twenty seven. It is, well, let's start at the beginning. Many persons bring disease upon themselves by their self-indulgence. They have not lived in accordance with natural law or the principles of strict purity. Others have disregarded the laws of health and their habits of eating and drinking, dressing, or working. Often some form of vice is the cause of feebleness of mind or body. Should these persons gain the blessings of health, many of them would continue to pursue the same course of heedless transgression of God's natural and spiritual laws, reasoning that if God heals them in answer to prayer, they are at liberty to continue their unhealthful practices and to indulge perverted appetite without restraint. Listen to this. If God were to work a miracle in restoring these persons to health, he would be encouraging sin. Any thoughts? How many of you knew that there were laws... In the habits of dressing. <laughs> One, two, okay. Why wear pants today? Because <laughs> <laughs> it's thirty degrees outside. <laughs> Think about the implications of what I just read. Next time you're praying for someone who's ill, sobering, isn't it? Does that mean we we shouldn't pray for those who are ill, or those who are ill? By their own choices? Yes, sir. To him that knows better it's sin, we have to be really careful about judging others, or we shouldn't even be setting down a 
you know, set of rules just to help someone. Like, if you do this, I'll help you. Because, I mean, did did they ask Naaman, uh, or did they say, you got to quit eating pork before we heal you? <laughs> no. He didn't know better. Right. The Israelites did. Uh, you know, God sent Elisha to the Phoenician woman. You know, not to someone in Israel. He never went in and started saying, you got to keep the Sabbath, you got to do this and that. You know, he healed her son. He, mm-hmm. You know, um, so we're in the business of restoring, not criticizing. We should be, that's right. But, I mean, just consider the implications of if God were to perform miracles and restoring people to health, he would be encouraging sin. You know, it's interesting, even the woman at the well, he didn't go and say, okay, now that you've given your heart to me, you've got to go and get rid of the man you live with. Um, you know, there are certain things as you grow, you have to, you know, they naturally take care of themselves. He, he never <clears throat> told her to do anything. Mm-hmm. I, and it dovetails nicely with his parable about the uh, the sower sowing the seed. Um what was it in this parable that that dictated whether there'd be a harvest or not? The soil. The condition of the soil. Christ is, is representing the sower. The seed is the is the message, the truth, and the soil is the are the conditions of the hearts that the, the that hear the truth. Okay. The, the well-tilled, well-cared-for soil produced fruit for 30, 60, 100 times. The rocky soil didn't. So again, this, the, the, the issue is our, our condition. But maybe it helps us to understand why some of our prayers aren't answered. You know, I... I... Right. You talk to people whose faith in God is, is uh, tested, shall we say, or even broken sometimes, because they pray a certain way, and the person doesn't get well, the person actually maybe dies, and then they feel like if their faith had been strong enough, surely this person, God, would have seen the need and healed them or raised them, you know, kept mm-hmm. them from dying. But part of prayer, I think, is is the understanding that you have to ask for what you would like to see happen, but trust God that he'll give the answer that, that is best for that person. Right. Even if you don't see it that way. There's there's some example, and forgive me, I don't have the quote. Uh, if anyone knows it, uh, feel free to shout it out. Of Ellen White early in her ministry, where she prayed for the healing of a certain individual. And God granted her request. And this this guy went right back to a, a lifestyle that was uh, you know, contrary to the laws of health, and you know she 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 couldn't she was you know at, at a loss for for why it happened, and, and God told her said, "Look, I did what you asked me to. I didn't I didn't want to undermine your fledgling ministry, so I did what you asked me to." Um, and and I believe from that point forward she. She restructured her prayers to, um, you know, your will be done. Uh, Renee asks, where was he reading when he stated that if God healed someone who would continue in that particular lifestyle, that he would be condoning sin? Uh, that, Renee, that's from the Ministry of Healing, page 227. 
Ministry of Healing page. 227. 227. Yeah. Uh, this is also from the Ministry of Healing, same page. It is labor lost to teach people to look to God as a healer of infirmities unless they are taught also to lay aside unhealthful practices. In order to receive his blessing and answer to prayer, they must cease to do evil and learn to do well. Their surroundings must be sanitary, their habits of life correct. They must live in harmony with the law of God, both natural and spiritual. Thoughts? This is labor lost. Teach people to look to God as their healer, unless. Yes. We also have to make sure that we don't, um, if somebody does die, okay, and we prayed for them, mm-hmm. you know, to think, well, they would have, you know, kept on with their sinful life or whatever. But it may also be through their death that somebody else is brought to salvation. So we've got to leave the results in God's hands if that person dies or lives. But, and to make, like you said, structure our prayer that God's will be done in this case. Mm-hmm. All right. Well said. Yes, sir. have to remember that Christ was within a few miles of John the Baptist mm-hmm. when he was both imprisoned and killed. And he could have prevented both. Right. But did not for reasons that were not clearly evident to his disciples at the time that that happened. And just because something does not happen that looks good to us doesn't mean that it's the right thing. Right. Christ declared John the Baptist, there, there, there are none born of women greater than him. Right. Job is a good example, too. I uh, saw a couple of hands, yes. John the Baptist is an, has been an encouragement for all the martyrs that lived after him. But going back to what you said a little earlier about um, not obe- obeying the laws of health, mm-hmm. people in the past in the Middle Ages and in their early re- Renaissance, they thought <laughs> that if there was plague in a city, it was God's direct punishment for their sins. And they did not understand laws of health that we understand today about how to prevent bubonic plague. Mm -hmm. And doubtless there are things that people suffer from now that the laws of health are not understood how to prevent various kinds of cancer. We don't really know some of those things right now. That doesn't mean that the laws of health are not operating even when we don't understand. Oh, very well said. I think when we get to heaven, we'll, we'll discover that all disease has been a result of deviations from the original design. His family, his grandmother's mother died and left four small children, ten and other died of pneumonia. And this was a tragedy that marred those children's lives until they died. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you think, where were you, God, when this woman was dying of pneumonia and leaving these little children to never form right characters? Yep. Well. You know, I mean. I. I can't judge about their, their character. Yes, please. If God intervened in every single situation where he is needed um, in terms of health, would the great controversy be played out? Don't we have to allow evil to run its course? And isn't that what God is doing? Even though it's, it's almost as if his hands were tied. He would love to. He wants everyone to. Because that's not the point. But sometimes on earth we die. 
All right, we're we're getting a little ahead of of where I had this, but since we're talking about death so much, um, <laughs> let's <clears throat> let's move let's fast forward to uh, Wednesday's lesson, the resurrection and life. Uh, the lesson suggests that the quote eternal life in a new world is what Jesus has to offer us. First of all, is that is that accurate? And is that all? It is accurate, but it's not all. Um, I I actually took kind of offense at that statement myself when I read it. Um, Because if we were offered eternal life with a God who is controlling and abusive and dictator-like, none of us would be happy. So eternal life is not just, you know, that's not all he was offering. He was offering the truth about the Father, which is what makes eternal life sound good not not only that it makes eternal life period yeah i mean in john seventeen three, christ says this is life eternal he was talking to his listeners at that time in the perfect present tense and he's talking to us today this is life eternal currently now not not in some future time or place it is now and russell yes the um um, Isaiah 57 is a, okay, I think it mm-hmm. helps us understand God's perspective. In verse 1, um, I don't know if it goes to 2, 2. The righteous perish, and no one ponders it in, in his heart. Devout men are taken away, and no one understands that the righteous are taken away to be spared from evil. Those who walk uprightly enter into peace as they find, uh, they find rest as they lie in death. So it's it's a it's a helpful insight into sometimes God figures they've been through enough in their life mm-hmm. and then finds other resources to help other people who may have been influenced by them. God's not limited in assisting someone by by just one person. If right. I haven't learned anything about being a mother, God uses every resource at his disposal to influence your children and often away totally apart from you. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as we know, I mean, as far as you know, scriptural insight gives us, uh, the centurion's servant, the widow's son, and Lazarus, these were all these were people that are, are named as, as those that have been raised from the dead by Christ. As far as we know, they all went back to sleep. They all died again. What, what was Christ, what's Christ trying to tell us uh, by raising them to, back to life in the first place? Who he is. Did everybody hear that? He's trying to tell us who he is. Anything else? It doesn't have power. If we know that it's not the end, it does in fact lose its sting. Good. Death is indeed asleep. And he had made a parable earlier. The rich man and Lazarus even used Lazarus' Mm -hmm. name. And said, and people take it as an end of life discussion, but it's not. I mean, how many people can fit in the bosom of Abraham anyway, if you're really taking it literally? But he was talking to the, the priests and so on, were asking him a question, and he was trying to say through the parable that even if someone should come back from the dead, you, and he was telling it to them, the very ones who were going to respond this way, it was a prophecy almost. Yes. That even if someone should bring back to life and warn people if they didn't believe Abraham and the prophets they wouldn't believe that Someone come back from so then he resurrected Lazarus right. his actual name 
And they responded exactly the way he had predicted that they would to their faces. Let me ask you this. Have you guys ever thanked God for the sleep that we know is death? Yes. Absolutely. It'd be awful to live in a world of sin like we live in and suffer forever like something worse. I agree. Absolutely. I mean, for those of, for those of us who ever lost loved ones, um, doesn't it make you yearn for someplace better, for something better? It's it's in grace and mercy that that God lays us to sleep. It's it's not um, it's not retribution. It's not anger. It's not resentment. It's it's merciful. I mean, think about look at the Earth's early history. How many generations were from Adam to the flood? Seven. Just a few generations from Adam to the flood. And evil so consumed the world that there was only one righteous man living at that time. And if God hadn't intervened by putting some of his children to sleep, evil evil would have taken over the entire planet. This, this is from uh, Patriarchs and Prophets, page 60. In order to possess an endless existence, man must continue to partake of the tree of life. Deprived of this, his vitality would gradually diminish until life should become extinct. It was Satan's plan that Adam and Eve should, by disobedience, incur God's displeasure, and then, if they failed to obtain forgiveness, he hoped they would eat of the tree of life and thus perpetuate an existence of sin and misery. But after man's fall, holy angels were immediately commissioned to guard the tree of life. Around these angels flashed beams of light having the appearance of a glittering sword. None of, the fam- none of the family of Adam were permitted to pass the barrier to partake of the life-giving fruit. Hence, there is not an immortal sinner. Thoughts? It's merciful. It is merciful. And it's, it's really difficult to see it that way when you're grieving the loss of a loved one. And if the tree of life was here, not everyone would have equal access to it anyway. It would be the most powerful, the most evil people who would contain it for themselves and then, you know, enslave everybody else. Certainly possible, even probable. All right, let's move back to Sunday's lesson. Isaiah 53, 4. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. This is one of the texts that um, the lesson asks us to read. This should be a very familiar text for those in this class. Uh, Matthew 8, 17, that it might be fulfilled that which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet. This is, you know, um, Christ quoting Isaiah, saying, He himself took our formities and, and bore our sicknesses. John 9, 1 through 3, Now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth, His disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. So clearly, uh, back then, there was some thoughts that uh, illness and um, disability and things like that were the result of some unconfessed sin. Are we hearing that today? Well, even after they say that in the lesson, they continue to apply it. I know. Yeah, it's good. The um, I dated a girl in California whose mother was riddled with rheumatoid arthritis. This 
this woman, she had two total hips, two total knees. She had toe joints replaced. She had finger joints replaced. Her, her, her cervical spine was so fragile that she had to wear a neck brace in case she sneezed. Because if she sneezed too hard, she could, she could paralyze herself. And she had well-meaning friends that uh, told her that, well, this is just a result of some unconfessed sin. Consequently, she was somewhat agnostic. And who could blame her? Yes, and from uh, as Eve mentioned, that same thought is, has permeated our church. I've been sure it has. You know, told that you know many times that um, I had to be doing something evil to go through a divorce. That you know I had to have some sin in my life. That I'm financially ruined. You know, you name it. And mm-hmm. all these uh, statements are coming from quotes Christians within our church, and I'm amazed at how little they understand of the character of God. Correct, and and you hit the nail on the head. That's the that's the root of the issue, is a misunderstanding about God's character. New Orleans was destroyed with that hurricane because of its wickedness. Sure. Mm-hmm. And San Francisco will drop into the ocean from an earthquake because of the same thing. That's where we can get into dis- discussions about arbitrary law versus natural law. Right. Correct. Uh, from the lesson... Quote, in antiquity, sickness was considered the result of sinful action. And even today, who hasn't at times, even if only for a moment, wondered if illness, either their own or that of a loved one, wasn't brought on as a punishment for sin? In the book of Job, his friends suggested that his misfortunes, which included personal illness, resulted from hidden faults. The implication was that somehow his sinfulness caused their predicament. Similarly, Christ's disciples understood the blindness as a punishment for someone's sinfulness. This suggests the sickness required not diagnosis or medication, but atonement. Matthew references Isaiah's Messianic prophecy, stating that Christ fulfilled this prediction and that healing can be found only in him. This suggests the sickness required not diagnosis or medication, but atonement. Let's give a false statement and then draw theology from it. What does sickness require? Sickness requires healing. What? I mean, in this class, I, I hope that we see atonement and healing as synonymous. And I'd like to give the lesson the benefit of the doubt that they do as well. Can I refer back to something you said a few moments ago? The fact that we have instances from the Bible where Jesus, by his actions, would show the power of God, okay, would lead some people to believe that just because Jesus did something or said something, that you could sort of jump over the whole healing process. And I think this is where a lot of the misconception comes from with the theologians that that promote the idea that uh, it's simply a declaration. And, uh, you know, what, what you're referring to right now is the fact that there is a process. It's not just, you know, God said it and it's done uh, for you because you're a development in progress. Thank you.
other thoughts before we move on? Only yes, sir. The thought about that is that if we make the wrong diagnosis, the wrong treatment will be given. <laughs> That's right. One of my one of my mentors in physical therapy says likes to say that um, incorrect treatment rendered with a greater greater frequency or greater enthusiasm. No, excuse me, ineffective treatment rendered with greater frequency or greater, greater enthusiasm remains ineffective. Okay, and ineffective treatment has at its root an incorrect diagnosis or laziness. So, yes, you have to get the diagnosis correct. It's, it's one of the reasons why Dr. Moses casts a fracture, okay? If he doesn't diagnose a fracture correctly and that fracture moves, then the body's going to lay down cartilage because the, the motion at the fracture side tells the brain, hey, we have a new joint here. Let's lay down cartilage. That's why you have to, that's why you have to stabilize a fracture, and you have to correctly diagnose a fracture or else you're going to be adding joints to your body where they don't belong. Yes, sir. So on that first sentence on Sunday's lesson there, in antiquity, uh-huh. So what is sickness the result of? Okay, let's put that to the audience. What is sickness the result of? Uh, the last word of that sentence needs to be changed. It says sinful action. Yes. The sinful condition. Sinful condition, correct. Okay. And actions are a result of a condition. They're, they're the symptoms right. of the disease. That's right. That's well said. I, I didn't pick up on that. Thank you. The part that was confusing to me, and maybe you could clarify if somebody can. Uh, when the disciples asked Jesus about the blind man, did he sin or he sin? He said no. He was born that way to glorify God. That part, that's very hard to yeah, that is difficult to understand, and, and you know the, the conventional thinking might be, well, really, did God allow some guy to be blind for so many years just so he could show off? You know, even nature bears that out. That you know, animals are mutating; they're growing extra legs; they're deformed. They didn't sin. We know animals can't sin, yet they're suffering because they live in a sinful world. Mm -hmm. You know, there are finches that have always been vegetarians ever since creation, but yet now they're eating meat because of droughts and they had nothing else to eat, So they, and they continue to do so. The result of sinful world that we live in, they didn't sin themselves. Right. So I think Jesus, as he sometimes does, he left down a couple of steps in the logic there. I have a verse that I've thought about a lot last year that has really helped me with this whole thing. It's the last chapter of Genesis. God's work is always to take whatever's evil and bring good out of it. So when Jacob has died, his brothers are scared to go see Joseph. They, they send a messenger. Oh, we're really scared of you. Uh, remember our father said not to hurt us? And Joseph weeps. Didn't you know I forgave you? And then he says to them in these wonderful words, he says, you meant evil. But God meant good. So I think in the case of the blind man, this is my theology, I Satan meant evil. But God said, I'm going to use this evil to bring out great good. And the, 
And that could have occurred even without Christ coming to heal him. Okay? Yep. That's a good point. So Christ did not have to come and heal this blind man for good to have come out of that. Something miraculous does not have to happen to every bad thing that happens in my life for God to be praised. I can praise God in the middle of my sorrow as much as in reaction to the miracles that happen in my life. Well, go on. Tell us more about that. <laughs> well, I think that we have all experienced that. We've all had sorrows. We've all had struggles. We've all had... Um, Loss. ...have not gone right in our life, and yet God has brought good out of those, in spite of those things. But not only that. Sometimes, during those things, it's when you're closest to God. Yeah. It's like, it's not that He brought that in your life, but because right. it is in your life, it's brought you closer to him because he's the only one you find comfort in at that time. You consider, consider a minute the miracle of healing the man who's blind, been blind from birth. Uh, Tim has touched on this time or two. Um, those who are born without sight have no connection between the eye and, and then the optic nerve in the brain, uh, the optic nerve transmitting sight and, and the brain uh, perceiving the sight and, tra- and translating it to signals and memories and this, that, and the other. Not only did Christ heal the eyes of this man, he restored that connection between the optic nerve and restored brain function. You know, those who have um, been blinded, you know, in adulthood, they, they still have that that optic nerve connection and, and, the, uh, and the brain wiring. But the man born born blind, he had none of that. Uh, saw a hand over here, and then we, yes. Well, um, if everyone was healed, or everyone received restitution on this earth, then how would anyone know that there's a God that can sustain you? You know, and even for the man in the world, you know, he has, you know. Uh, harsh things are done to him, but that's no indication that God doesn't love him. You know, people just give up in despair. It'd be like, okay, now I'm going to serve God because he's going to protect me. Because he pays better. That was Satan's allegations against Job. The sun shines on the just and the unjust. Correct. You need to apply that to the way we were born. We are born in sin, we are born blind, and now we see because of Jesus, we are um, healed. Mm, I think... uh, our spiritual sight. That's that's a, a wonderful analogy. Uh, that's right. We're we're born blind, and you know those those of us who are fortunate enough to have had the truth revealed about God's character and God's nature. Now we see. We've had that that restoration of of not only sight but of of that connection to the brain as well. That's uh, that's a great indicate that we want God to micromanage everything. Some people do. Some people like that. Is that what God wants for us? What are the, what's the last gift of the Holy Spirit? Self-control. Self-governance. Okay? God's not going to micromanage everything in heaven. We're going to govern ourselves. We're going to do it freely. There's a tendency for me to observe that no matter what happens, Good or evil, it was God's will. That that come seems to come out if we were praying fervently 
for a person who is ill uh, and that person passes away. And, you know, all the ramifications of that. That's a terrible it, document. Is, is, <laughs> is that, is that God uh, holding back? We, we, in other words, uh, out, is it a win-win situation? No matter what happens, it's God will? No. I no. Or is it a lose-lose situation? Whatever happens. No, I I don't think it's I don't think you can box it in that that neatly. It, it, it seems to me that you know over the years and, and in the churches and, and and folks that I have been in contact with uh, from Sabbath school and lessons <laughs> and so on that it was it was usually God's will. Yeah, I. I in my, I've I've heard the same thing. I've heard the same argument, and at times I believe that argument. Uh, I don't now. I mean, the idea that um, you know pain and suffering and death uh, is God's will—that's. I don't want to. I don't want to live with a God like that. It's God's. It's God's will that we be healed. It's the physician. It's like it's the physician's will that the the patient be healed. Okay. Right. Christ came to destroy death. And, and God's will is obviously just not done on this earth. I mean, and that's why we're praying. We're asked to pray. But, yeah. You know, Thy will be done. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, because it's not being done on earth. <laughs> was it God's will for Abel for Cain to kill Abel? Certainly not. No, not, not it wasn't. It wasn't God's will. will. So somebody kidnaps and destroys your child. Was that God's will, but that evil person <clears throat> taking their will and, and and using it to abuse and kill other people? It wasn't. It wasn't God's will that Lucifer rebel. But God, being a God of love and freedom, allowed it because any anything else, any coercive measure, would have been out of character. Yeah, and we struggle with that—the difference between God allowing it to happen and God causing it. Correct. You remember the story in Tim's book, could it be the simple, about the unruly child on the farm who was told not to play around the farm machinery and Vaguely, yes. disobeyed his parents and he got hurt to the point where he was almost dead? Yeah. And they, Rings a bell. There was no hospital for miles, so all they could do was pray. Mm-hmm. Circle him and pray. And everybody prayed, you know, please God, if it be your will, he'd be healed. If it be your will, heal him. Got around to the mother. She said, God, if you don't heal him, I'll never talk to you again. Well, the boy recovered. So now you have to ask, uh, you know, what did, did God heal that boy because he didn't want to lose the mother? Or should he have allowed the boy to die because we died because of his natural condition, because of what we played on the farm machine? Because in, in the future, when he became a teenager... He became a bane to that family. He was, he was terrible. He was getting in trouble all the time. He was just a, a terrible embarrassment to the family. And, you know, God knew, I had to have known in the future, this young boy was going to be a real bad kid. And, hmm. and so, so did God heal, you know, how, you got to struggle with that. Yeah, I wish I had an answer. In the back. 
have like lost family and friends that ask, they say, this is God's world, this is his universe, so wouldn't it have, to, doesn't he have the ultimate say-so? So if something bad does happen, why does he not, why does he let it happen? Why doesn't he intervene? If God is so powerful, why does he not do something? And that's the argument that they always bring up is, wouldn't it have to be God's will for him, for, to allow good or bad to happen, given his state of ultimate authority well i mean i think that presents a great open door to introduce most of those people don't have an a, a concept of a, a big picture the great controversy perspective of what's going on and the earth is indeed a battleground and in warfare there are casualties of war uh and in order for the in order for the war to be won there there are casualties on both sides uh, i need to move on uh, Monday's lesson talks about the healing of the paralytic. This is where the guy's friends lower him down the roof, and Christ, um, you know, commends their faith, and he tells the guy, "Your sins are forgiven." Pharisees start questioning among themselves, uh, "Who, you know, who is this guy that he thinks he can forgive sin?" And Christ reads their thoughts and says, "So you may know that the Son of Man has the power to forgive sins on earth." Take up your bed and walk. What was Christ? Was Christ? What's the what's the message here for us? Is there is there some connection between forgiveness of sin, physical healing, the gospel? Eve, you had a question, comment, suggestion. Actually, um, you know, as I was as we were reading this, because um, I kept wondering why did why did he say that first? You know, and. I looked back at the story in the Desire of Ages, and it actually talks about how the guy was despondent and was moved to despair because he had come to those very religious leaders and doctors and Pharisees and asked for help, and he said, "Just what you know, it it's it's God's will. Yeah. You have this. It's your own fault, and you know we just surrender you to the wrath of God. We're not going to do anything about it." And so his despair was directly related to the lies that they had spread. About God's character. About God's character. What he needed most was to know that God isn't like that. Mm -hmm. And so that's what Jesus addressed first. Mm -hmm. That brought him so much peace, he was fine. He would have been content to live paralyzed. paralyzed And die soon with that assurance. But because of the Pharisees' response... Then Jesus said, you know, just so you know, this, mm-hmm. is, this is true, this is right. You know, let's, let's link that back to her question in the back, because I think that's a direct answer to the perennial question that everybody asks, why does not an all-powerful God end the suffering in the world? And here's our answer, right? In this very, in this very story, um, God is not the author of, he's not a fatalistic God. He doesn't cause evil. He doesn't willingly afflict the children of men. But we live in a world of cause and effect. If I have a retarded child, that might not be my fault, but somewhere along the line, it's somebody's fault. Right? Genetically, Perhaps, yes. happened in a world of sin. Stuff happens in a world of sin. Mm-hmm. And I'm in this world of sin, and things happen to me that are because I'm in a world of sin, and they're not... We're in the great controversy. That's not God's act. Right. Well, also, we are examples of the 
world's not example, but a little showcase, as Tim says. And he has to show them what it's like when sin plays itself out. I mean, that's what free will choice is. Correct. And again, you know, introducing the larger picture, you know, the theater. Speak, so whatever you're well, why, it can still reverberate down generation. Why didn't, uh, why didn't Christ tell the paralytic, your fine will soon be paid when they hang me on a tree? Sorry about your paralysis. God is It's not. Would that, would that have brought any sort of comfort or uh, resolution to, to the guy when he said, thank you, take me back up? Through the roof. No, come on. All right. But it would have it would have shortcut what Rachel was talking about in the sense that uh, the lesson was not only for us for the good that happened to the paralytic, but it was also a lesson to the Pharisees, to those who were making this image of God, which, by the way, is part of my big point here mm-hmm. that. In this discussion, like three or four times at least, you know, it, it cycled back to the idea that what we're really talking about is a proper and acceptable image of God. Because we can we can read and discuss and 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 uh, be absolutely sure that we're absolutely right about our concept of God, but other people are going to have other concepts, and and so you've got to somehow find a balance of what you know about the God of love and what you can share or communicate with people who have an entirely different image and concept of God. Thank you. There's one more hand in the back. I moved to Tuesday's lesson. Probably have to wrap it up. On the issue of faith and healing, on, on uh, verse 5 said that Jesus saw the faith they had. His friends, yes. Mm-hmm. My question is, what what does the faith they had had to do with this man's resolution? Isn't faith a personal thing? Is my faith that your faith that heals me is my own faith, isn't it? <laughs> well, um, you know, James tell us, tells us that faith without works is dead. So the paralytic had no way of getting to where Christ, the physical location where Christ was uh, at the time, and. Clearly, this guy's friends had knew something of his struggles, both you know, with trying to seek out resolution and healing through the Pharisaical channels, and had this guy having heard about Christ and thinking, "If I can only get to him," those friends showed their faith and were probably representatives of the paralytic's faith, and taking him to that to the location and oh well, we can't get in. Oh, sorry. We'll try again later. No, let's cut a hole in the roof and lower him down to Christ's lap. Okay, that's that's a fine example of, of faith in action. Um, and I just wanted to point out, there is is plural. Um, we always say that it excludes the paralytic, but it actually includes him. Yeah. It's, it's all of them. Um, in the Desire of Ages, it actually says that it was his idea to go through the roof. Oh, really? Wow. So, Didn't know that. Good. He had just as much faith to want to be there as his friends did in bringing him. Mm-hmm. All right, we're going to have to wrap up with Tuesday's lesson. Uh, healing the mind and the body. First of all, if you guys haven't seen the the lecture series that uh, we did back in November uh, at the Hamlin Community Church, 
come back next week, following weeks, or get the DVD from the website. They're free. Take it, watch it. It's it's outstanding. What does it mean to heal the mind, though? Um, this is from Tim's blog, dated 27 July 2012. He has ten simple steps to a healthy brain. Now I'm not gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna list them, but I'm not gonna go into the explanation of them. Look it up on the, our website. Step one: regular sleep. Healthy a healthy brain requires regular sleep, no question about it. Regular exercise, both physical and mental. Hydration, uh, the lar- you know our our single largest component in our body is water. A healthy diet, avoid toxins. That's a big one. Forgive. How many of us knew that forgiving leads to healthy brain, healthy mind? Develop healthy relationships. Um, another another big one, you know, relation relationship conflict activates certain inflammatory circuits, and um, you know, conflict free relationships activates other circuits. Be a giver. Loving other people is healthy for the brain. Minimize theatrical entertainment. Uh, there there are significant and compelling studies about theatric how theatrical entertainment affects uh, the limbic system in the brain. And last, and certainly not least, is build a relationship with the God of love. Uh, Those who have a healthy spirituality have reduced anxiety, stress, and an overall meaningful and more satisfied life. Uh, Any other thoughts before we wrap up? Okay. Thank you all for your participation. Let's close with prayer. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for being the source of all healing and the source of all life in the universe that we know. Um, even though we still have many, many questions and there are many, many aspects of your law that we do not understand, and we look forward to spending eternity examining the law and, and uh, being representatives of it to the rest of the universe. Uh, please continue to guide us. Please continue to open up uh, new revelations of your character to us so that we can hasten your coming. In Jesus' name, amen.